0: Thank you. What up, what up, fam? Welcome back to Masterclass Moments with Dr. Joel B. Kemp, our podcast series. And I'm saying, ouch, let me introduce myself, the Reverend Dr. Dominique Aisha Robinson, hailing from Brick City, New Jersey.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, Jersey, <laughs> Jersey in the, in the
0: house. house. <laughs> and I have had the distinct honor and privilege to share as a guest host, co host, so y'all never know, it might become completely permanent, uh, with the one and only mastermind, <laughs> scholar, uh, hero. Phenomenon, law attorney, activist, professor, hip hop head, raising brand cereal, uh, 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 superhero, uh, Dr. Joel B. Kemp. Uh, we're bringing him to the virtual stage. <sighs> <sighs>
1: Hear the crowd screaming, <laughs> throwing down palms like we just finished Palm Sunday, right?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Dr. Kemp, Dr. Kemp. I, what is this? This is like episode five, six, seven, eight. We don't know. But we're on this series, right. this episode. Uh, let the people know how you doing after our liturgical season. We talked about race last time, which is, you know, some of your like pending scholarship getting ready to be published. Right. As well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Exactly. Next book. We'll be on that questions of race and looking at how kind of the Bible's been interpreted to create kind of racial caste system in America and thinking about how that applies to some realities we face nice. today. Nice.
0: Now, Dr. Campus, this book going to cost a lot of money.
1: Uh, it depends on what the publisher does. I'm still in the process of finalizing kind a of deal with the publisher and all those things. But hopefully it will be hopefully it will be cheaper than the first My, book.
0: Now I was, you know, I wasn't going to talk about your first book, but I was just going to say, you tell the publisher you're talking about race. So those of us who might on be on the opposite end of the financial spectrum uh, of a particular race, we're going to need a race discount when we get ready to buy the book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right <laughs> right so hit, hit that price point where yeah. you know, one one bill can yes
0: do it, yes yes of. so that's 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 one of your your books that's coming out i mean but you have articles and things around conversation around law and hebrew scripture as well right
1: yes exactly yeah so i have an article that i published a couple of years ago on ezekiel mm. looking at the meaning of the word for so
0: is that ezekiel 16 idea. or another chapter
1: um, so, the, the first book is on Ezekiel 16, but the article is on Ezekiel mm-hmm. 8, where the Ju- Judeans or the Judahites are talking about God has forsaken us and God does not see us. Hmm. Um,
0: Look at y'all. Y'all so, can tell I'm such a preacher. I'm already thinking about how to use that for the seven last sayings. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then the article, I do a quick, there's a little footnote uh, where I talk about. Uh, the same word that's used for forsaken, uh, Ezekiel 8, is also in Psalm 22. My God, why be forsaken? Y'all, come on. And so Jesus is drawing on that. So, so first
0: of all, beloved, y'all see there. that. First of all, I already reread my professor's work because you, you can't be rocking with your professors and don't know their work. Otherwise, you can't right. call yourself a junior <laughs> scholar. Okay, that's one. You could just call yourself exactly. a well-read individual. Um, <laughs> and I'm also like making sure you all know, y'all, we are getting man true scholarship practitioner work and in some ways for free so while you on this podcast for free subscribe share Text it to someone you know, a scholar, a seminarian, a preacher, an attorney, uh, someone who's just interested in the ways of the world. And while these are free nuggets, you're subscribing. Also, make sure you follow us on social media, je um, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, please pay attention because the Hebrew hotline will be popping out live real soon. So make sure you follow uh, because these are the ways that you can kind of start to individualize your time with Dr. Kemp and the scholarship, contextualize it around the things that you'd like to study and know more about so that you can apply it uh, to whatever it is you're doing. Sometimes it's just basic knowledge makes all the difference in how you engage your scripture and personal faith development. I know a lot of times when we start talking about scholarship and learning, we're always kind of pushing you on how do you write, how do you read, how do you preach? But some of this is just, not some of this, all of it before you write, before you preach, before you teach, all of it is for personal faith development. So listen, if you already subscribe, thank you. If you know somebody else who will benefit from uh, these podcast conversations, text them, tag them, whatever it is you need to do. Uh, make sure you do that and make sure you follow and pay attention because the website's going to be popping. with all it. Per like great details, so you to know how to become uh, get connected to the Hebrew Hotline, Doctor Kip. I have one question around race to ask you, uh, kind of as a part B and C uh, from the from the from the previous uh, podcast before we jump into today's conversation. Uh, as people look at the New Testament text and they they make sure or they try to talk to us about not being anti-Semitism, like to not have anti-Semitism. Is there anything similar or parallel to that as we look at the Hebrew scriptures?
1: Um, you get it in sort of the the inverse way, right? Which is the ways in which the kind of Judean or Israelite community will view other communities. And there's often a sense in which the Israelites will view themselves as the chosen people, uh, which means others are rejected. Mm. Um, I think in, in New Testament scholarship, it becomes particularly important because there was a large movement to imagine Jesus as something other than a Jew. Mm. Um, and so this idea that Christians we live in a new covenant the concern became well if we live in a new covenant then do we disregard disrespect dehumanize those who are under the old covenant um, so as part of the conversation we had I think in our first podcast about why people will use words like Hebrew Bible Jewish scriptures first testament and rather than old testament it's a way of trying to push back against that tendency to say hey we are Christian we're in the new covenant everything else not only is inferior but the people who do it are demonized. Well, I'm
0: glad you share that because I I you know I'm I am personally and I don't mean wrestling like I'm incompetent I sometimes miss the 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 things that could be considered racist in the um, New Testament or Second Testament around anti-Semitism and I've had to sit in a couple of trainings so I could become attuned to that now with the Hebrew scriptures, you know the truth is, Being a part of an oppressed population, uh, I have no problem identifying with the chosen people uh, in the in the Hebrew scriptures to say that's right. God chose us after oppression, coming through slavery, Um, and then hearing our conversation or reviewing our conversation, I'm like, you know what? I'm not supposed to see it that way. I'm supposed to not put my U.S. capitalistic racial structures on Hebrew scriptures. So thank you for answering that question um, for sure. Also, I need to say for you who are listening. If you have not gone to our live conversations that air on JEL Institute's Facebook page, you need to go. I've gotten so much feedback, particularly on you explaining the three days that Jesus got up. I've gotten so much. I mean, all on the Facebook conversations, people DMing and texting like, man, I'm so glad you asked that question. That never made sense to me either. But now that Dr. Kemp explained that, I mean, I I sleep better at night. Now as a preacher, I feel a little bit more resolved in saying that. So for those of you who are not going, go back and watch our live conversations. First of all, we be having fun. The time is always lit. So you're going to definitely laugh while you're there, but you're going (laughs) to laugh and learn. And that really is a part of our, You know, uh, pedagogical ethos and approach When Dr. Kemp and I get together You're going to laugh, but you're going to learn And so make sure you go back I think that's going to be our last uh, Webisode that aired uh, this past Monday Uh, You're like, what is this past Monday, Dr. Robinson? The last Monday of April (laughs) The last Monday, April April 25th (laughs) Go back to JEL Institute's page Or my personal page and see it We talked about Sabbath And I'm telling you, tis the season to learn what Sabbath is, and in that conversation, man, Dr. Kemp started simply by understanding the movement of day and how it begins at night, and I, I, it was so revelatory. I'm still sitting with it. Right now, I'm like, mm, I can't wait till the new day begins today when the sun starts to go down. That, that's the weekend, the Sabbath, so thank you for that. Now, beloved, this podcast is dropping right before Mother's Day um, for people who are listening, for the preachers who are tuning in. And so it's our hope and desire that our conversation today gives you uh, some tools or some thoughts as you begin to prepare your sermons uh, for Mother's Day, or maybe you already have. And, um, you know, looking to kind of bolster in some ways, here's our disclaimer. Here's our disclaimer. We recognize that Mother's Day is not always a happy and or peaceful day for everybody. We recognize um, that, uh Uh, Motherhood is not solely connected to to women who have physically birthed children. We know that all types of people, inclusive of men, mother. Um, We recognize that there are mothers without children and you are still a mother. We recognize that there are children whose mothers have transitioned and you are still being mothered. There are still opportunities where you are being mothered. And we recognize as professors and mentors that between mentoring, that's mothering, uh, nurturing, uh, that both men and women and non-binary individuals can do can do the work of mothering. So we just want to say that up front before we begin our conversation. We don't want anybody to feel um, That we're excluding them because we're we're not we 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 both come from very uh, different and complex backgrounds around what it means to understand mothering, and so we are not discarding or disregarding anyone in this conversation. We'd love for whomever you are to connect with us and just hear us. Um, And again, if you have questions, critiques, concerns, share it with us. We definitely would love to pick back up and respond to whatever it is. Absolutely. So Dr. Kemp. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, was uh-huh. just one quick thing to say in terms of that, of, of understanding that sometimes when I talk with students, I instead of using motherhood or fatherhood, I often use the idea of what does it mean to mentor or disciple mm-hmm. someone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? That all of us have people who are more experienced, who have greater wisdom, who take the time to share that with us. And at some most basic level, that that teaching moment, that companionship, is what we need from those who are mm-hmm. for us. And so it's kind of, as you said before, while we often think about mother as literally the person who gave us birth, you know, without getting too churchy, there are a lot of kinds of birth Oops. beyond just the one biologically. And so we want to honor all of those who've helped give birth to us and continue to give birth to us as we go through amen. our journey. Amen.
0: Yeah, I know so. you ain't want to get churchy, but I had to say amen on that. I had to, I had to say <laughs> amen on that. I had to say amen on that. So Dr. Kemp, Dr. Kemp, Man, I know your yes. mom has been a part of your life, Um, has been an amazing mom. Tell us, what was, this sounds, I know y'all don't laugh, this sounds so backwards for me to say instead of asking the mother, what was your favorite gift? Kemp, Kemp, what was the, your favorite <laughs> right. gift that you gave your mom?
1: <laughs> yeah, Uh it's interesting. The, the one that comes to mind um actually kind of falls in between Mother's Day and Father's Day because it was a graduation mm-hmm. gift that mm-hmm. I gave, so... Uh, when I graduated from law school, um, had had a job with lined up, you know, and finished law school, you earn a decent amount of money. So, which is not true when you finish undergrad, <laughs> oftentimes. Um, so, for the Mother's Day slash Father's Day gift, because it fell graduation fell in between, I got my undergraduate degree framed, and in it I put um, Psalm eighty six, I think it's verse seventeen, uh, which. The King James, which I think was the version I gave them, was something like, Show me a token for good, that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. For you, O Lord, have helped and comforted me. Um and so I gave that uh my Harvard college degree to my parents. Um, because we had gone through a lot of stuff, including being homeless at one point. And so there are a lot of things that we went through that kind of me ending up there was not expected. Um and so I wanted them to know that I know I got here because of their faithfulness. Um, And so that giving them my accomplishment in air quotes as a way of honoring them um, was probably my favorite.
0: And such a Hebrew scholar using Hebrew scripture.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) So even, even at 23 or whatever I was.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Already using the scriptures. Yeah. So is your degree still in your parents' house or is it hanging in your house?
1: Uh, It's, neither right <laughs> now it's uh, <laughs> uh since folks in the process of moving so it's it's okay. with me now but i have to get it get the frame fixed unfortunately oh, damaged, i
0: understand so. and you well you know That's as i right was now. moving here to austin from shreveport louisiana my four degrees and yes y'all heard it right four degrees while i'm yet working on the fifth one talk about talk about overachiever you know. um <laughs> Two of them got damaged. And when I went to get them replaced, the frames didn't exist anymore. So I had to get all four of them uh, redone. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have always found it. So I don't want to say like endearing and or loving when I've walked into uh, someone's house and their children's degrees were there. I'm like, oh, come on, communal, communal degree earning thing. Absolutely. So beloved, listen, um Dr. Kemp knows this. I have had no shame in doing this as a part of my testimony. My biological mother and I have an estranged relationship. Um while I believe that uh she has the potential to be an amazing mother, uh I don't know if she's ever tapped into it. I think she did the best she could with me when she had me. Her best simply wasn't healthy enough for me to thrive. And so I actually was raised by my grandmother's, um, her mother, and my stepdad's mother, who was the founder of the church I grew up in. And and so we never said step nothing. She was my grandmother. And so my two grandmothers raised me and they both transitioned uh, while I was in uh, high school and in seminary. And so God, I believe, blessed me with another community of people who were nurturing and mothering Um, and Right now and forever, <laughs> the Reverend Dr. Teresa <laughs> Fry Brown is uh, like the, the, the mother figure I have in my life uh, that has just certainly been, you know, all things mothering, um, inclusive of like, uh, you know, put me on punishment as an adult. I don't know what that looks like anymore, but it happens, <laughs> beloved. It happens. Um, so one of my favorite gifts, uh, there are two things that I gave her a week because she has a daughter a biological daughter her only biological daughter uh dr Veronica Nadine Perry who just because it's the podcast I gotta right. give a shout out just exactly. had her first baby. Jonathan, David, um, Perry, um, who we lovingly call JD, and, and Dr. Doctor T is called Fab G. For those of you all who watch right. Cinderella with uh, Billy, you see where that came from. But if you know Dr. Fry Brown, pretty, she's going to be Fab G. Trust it. She's just Fab G. <laughs> um, and who this year is celebrating her first Mother's Day Uh as a, a biological mother, because she certainly has done mentoring and mothering. And so uh, Veronica and I gift her mom together a lot, because uh, we got to put all our coins together. That's the other thing, right? When you, when you got siblings, you like, <laughs> we got to share this cost. But uh, there are two gifts that I really, really uh, like that we gave her. The first one, like you said, wasn't necessarily a Mother's Day gift, but it was a Mother's Day gift. Her birthday is in April, so it's so close to Mother's Day. Um, Last year, when she turned 70, <laughs> Veronica and I took her to Cancun. We took her on a trip. Um, and But in light of that, we also were able to get 70 people to send greetings in this video. And in the video that we created is where we also shared where we were going. So, you know, we kind of shared the video. And in it, it said, like, pack your bags. <laughs> we're going to Cancun. And we went for the week for her birthday. And so it was really good to... You know, feel like, like you said, you could pay for something that they can enjoy and love. And so I totally appreciate that. And then uh, I wouldn't say happenstance, I would say providentially. I think the Lord did this last year as well. Um, or maybe I could say it was this year. Yeah, no, no, it was last year because we went to Cancun, we came back, and this was a real actual Mother's Day weekend. I received a call on Mother's Day weekend to accept my job at the Samaritan Southwest. And I think. It did Dr. T just as much good as it did me because she felt like she and I feel like she had poured so much into me becoming who I am today as a preaching professor for her to actually see it come to fruition um, and to receive the call on Mother's Day. And we were just talking about what we're doing this year. And uh, we couldn't remember what we did last year. All we remembered is me getting the call to get the job. So uh, so those have been some of my favorite gifts. But like you said, Dr. Kemp, sometimes the best gift is just time. Um being able to spend time Absolutely. with people we love is is becoming more and more important. We learned that during the pandemic, like no other lesson
1: exactly, and I think it's always beautiful when like the gifts that matter aren't the things that you can spend but the things that kind of give you life and so certainly for for me, kind of seeing the joy that a parent gets when they see a child, yeah too well. <laughs> Like, that's the kind of thing that's, that's truly yeah, priceless. Yeah,
0: that, you get that degree. They like it. with the scripture. I'm going to have to use that scripture. I'm going to have to use it this year. I don't know. Let me just use it. Use it somewhere <laughs> yeah. in the card. So as we talk about motherhood, particularly biblically and within the Hebrew scriptures, we find that it is just as complex as our day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. right? We we find that um, the estrangement, the beauty, the complications, the fertility matters all show up in the Hebrew scriptures.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And there's it literally starts from the very uh-oh, beginning. Uh-oh. Right. If you Where are we? You know, if you so we can start with the literal first mother, Eve. Okay. Right. And so, you know, kind of in Genesis, the story is familiar uh-huh. to many in terms of the the first person who gets created is eventually his name Adam. Then his Hebrew the word is Ezra but it gets translated in English as your help, Mm -hmm. help Mm -hmm. meet. Um, She eventually gains the name Eve, right? And so, and her name, right, Chava in Hebrew, um, deals with this idea of living, of being. And so what's always striking about this is, right, that she gets her name after the so-called fall, right? So after they've eaten from the forbidden fruit, then, after that, is when she is called Chava, the mother of all living. So, there's this interesting, as you put it, complicated background where motherhood is first invoked in the shadow of the loss of something.
0: Oh, we. Um, so,
1: how do we then think about yeah. that
0: you
1: know, in framing motherhood, framing discipleship? Mm. And, you know, since we just finished Holy Season, right, this framing of life against the backdrop of sin and then death, of mm. loss. It's part of the Christian story. Wow! Wow!
0: Wow! So I, I, you know, I definitely never thought about this backdrop of loss in all of the various ways. Um, and as a person who has not had biological children and have you no know, has no interest in having biological children, um, I find myself uh, encouraging or trying to encourage, be present and support many of my female friends who have become biological mothers. And you know, one of the things that we don't even like to always talk about is their first um, like their loss around the sense of control of their own bodies. <laughs> you know, really there's that. And and that's for a prolonged period. That is not just, as you know, during the pregnancy pieces afterwards when you're nursing and you're trying to quote unquote, get your body back and you're moving in the energy and you know, all those things. Um, And then also really, you know, No shocker. Most of my friends are type A persons like me uh, who, uh, you know, we wouldn't say we're control freaks. We would say we're determined and organized uh, where they then have this loss of sense of control over scheduling and 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 energy levels, things that they were so accustomed to. uh, And I have found myself trying to be that friend to say it's okay, Like it like it is okay, because the gift that you've prayed for, you have now this child. So the control that you might have had over other things, I'm sure it'll be restored. I'm sure it'll come back. But hey, I'm the single friend who can go run to the store for you. Tell me what you need. Like, you know, let let, me let me let me jump in there and do that for you. So now that you're putting this in this frame, it's like loss could really in anything as you you've shared. And so this idea of motherhood and beloved reading that scripture to hear that Eve becomes mother after the fall. That she's named mother after the fall where a lot of people would see this as a disqualification. Um, and, and, and we all know, we won't talk about that today, this complicated past about how people blame her for the fall and why the snake spoke to her. And how, what, where was she when she gave her fruit dad? Like, all we, we know, we know, we know. Y'all got, y'all, some of y'all want to get to heaven and talk to Eve directly. Right, we get it. We understand. <laughs> but there's this thing of even with all the complications or complicated thoughts you have around her identity. The fact that she is still the first mother of the Bible, the entire Bible. And it's after a fall, after complications, after some contradictions, uh, that she still has this gift of being called mother. And for me, you know, I do believe all of us have come from her. I think she's I think she's the mother of all humanity. Uh, I do. I, I absolutely do believe that. And, you know, I got questions around that, too. I'm like, man, it was a, there was a lot of incest to develop into all of humanity, but that's right. conversation for another day. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. That'll, that'll be for season two. Season two, that.
0: y'all. We got we <laughs> got to unpack. You know, we got to ask Dr. Kemp where were the dinosaurs, and we got to ask him how all these people just slept with all their cousins. It's just too much. It's two brothers. And, I'm like, if it was Cain and Abel, right. where were the other sisters? It's just too much, y'all. We're gonna talk season two. Season two. Um. So so Eve yeah. Eve, Eve 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 and Dr. Kemp like. Is there anything in particular we should really, if if we decided to preach Eve, other than the fact that she's named mother after the fall, is there anything else you think we should highlight or or, st- or study a little bit more around Eve?
1: Yes. In terms of picking the context of thinking about motherhood and what that means, to me, one of the things I love about scripture in general, the Hebrew Bible in particular, is that it doesn't hide the complexity. It doesn't hide the messiness, right? So the first mother gives birth to two sons, one of whom kills the other, right? That's a parenting fail by most explanations, by most descriptions, right? Uh, Hopefully that's not controversial. (laughs) Um, But the biblical writers and the record keeps her story alive and gives her an honored and sacred place. And so I think for many of us who've experienced different kinds of mothering from different kinds of figures, the success or air quotes, failure of those who come after them doesn't define the mother. And so I know that there are a lot of women that I've spoken to over the years and my wife and I have counseled over the years in various capacities. Who bear the weight of their children's failures in ways that I don't think scripture requires you to do
0: wow wow, 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 man, you know, just wow, wow that that you just you just help somebody it help many of us actually, um we can do all we can, mentoring, mothering, loving, nurturing, when someone makes some decisions for themselves, right. it is. It is not a direct reflection on us, um, and that okay. is freeing for mothers and fathers um, and beloved. We're not sexist, y'all. Will get a Father's Day something. Don't even try it. Don't don't even try it. Just just you will, you will. We we respect fathers just as much as we, we respect mothers. Okay, so I don't want I don't want y'all to think right. we out here because that I do believe the Black Church is guilty of that, Dr. Kemp. We will highlight mm-hmm. and have full worship services. We will, I mean, flowers for every woman that comes in the room, ask all the mothers to stand. You know, I, I am AME Zion and this, you know, this holiday, Mother's Day, Holy Day is considered for the CMEs, Christmas, Mother's Day and Easter for those saints who come on those particular days. And so we recognize that at times, I don't know if I would call it, uh you know, the opposite of sexism or patriarchy, uh, and this highlighting right. of uh Mother's Day. But I think it's rooted in I do think it's rooted in patriarchy. Honestly, it's rooted in the fact that, you know, women were property and produced children and the production of children right. built the economy. And so I, I do think that is still connected to um <laughs> to patriarchy, uh particularly biblical types of patriarchy around property and production and economy and building i do think that's why we celebrate women's day or mother's day more than we do father's day but uh i think there's a shift coming i definitely believe that there's a shift coming so all right so eve and and to be released from when your children or your child do something that is no direct reflection of what you taught them now let me tell you something mothers there are some things your children do that is a direct reflection of what you have taught them (laughs) or not taught them Ask me how I know as a former youth pastor. There were plenty of times some children yeah, would do and say some things, and I couldn't even be mad because I knew who their mama was. <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> exactly, and it's, and it's always that balance, right, where it's kind of a void, sort of a zero sum game, right. It's not that you're either fully blameless or fully right. at fault. Um, so it's a it's recognizing again, the complexity of it, which is again what I appreciate about scripture in general is that it gives us that complexity, right? And so even God as the ultimate Mm. parent, right? If we accept that through Christ and the Christian tradition, we are now God's adopted children, right? Our Our screw-ups are not an indictment of God's godness. Mm. God didn't become less God because, you know, X, Y, Z happened. And so one of the things I've often mentioned in sermons is God never asks something of us that God hasn't already done first. And so thinking about what that means to have, to be a parent of children who occasionally go astray, Mm. like God understands that. So those of us who are parents in any number of capacities can have that conversation with God about how did you handle this? How do you handle this? And that becomes a source of kind of pastoral comfort and consolation. Yeah. So,
0: so as we can see this conversation around motherhood, uh, some complications around it. Uh, if you all have been listening to our series of podcasts, you have heard me mention this woman. Uh, if you all have uh, in any ways followed any of my preaching, you definitely have heard me mention this woman, particularly in the sermon called Surviving the Bombs of Life, because I preach about her and compare her to uh, one of the fifth little girl in the bombings of uh, the church in Birmingham that many people overlook in light of in, in things of life. And I am talking about none other than Hagar. Hagar, Hagar, Hagar. Y'all, we went from Eve to Hagar. We skipping Sarah because we've talked about Sarah a little bit. But we're talking about exactly. Hagar. Uh, Dr. Kemp, talk to us about Hagar. We're,
1: yeah, I think yeah. Ha- Hagar ties in nicely to one of the threads you mentioned in terms of how one views women in terms of their reproductive mm-hmm. abilities. Right, Because the conflict when we first meet Hagar in Genesis 16 is this conflict between, at the time, Sarai, who eventually becomes Mm -hmm. Sarah, um, and this question of who can give Abram, again, he's not yet Mm -hmm. Abraham, he's Abram at this point, or Avram in Hebrew, um, who has yet to have the promised child received. Um, And so you get into this tension. Um, and one of the things that I think's always important to note historically is when so Hagar is identified as an Egyptian slave mm-hmm. um and so in a lot of the racialization of biblical text and kind of how that lives unquestionably people will argue that Hagar is black mm-hmm. um I would also argue so as Surai, but that's an argument for another Be-
0: Yes, another yeah we yeah, definitely because <laughs> Is that a, Is that a Hebrew? Yes. And Hagar and think, Egyptian. Yes.
1: Uh, and part of what I have argued in different contexts is that for the ancient Near Eastern world, like right, they make distinctions along ethnicity or nationality, like we talked about in mm-hmm. our uh, podcast last podcast, but the kind of racial connotations that kind of the Western world has applied to the Bible, almost everyone in the Bible would qualify as BIPOC, at least at this That's stage.
0: That's right, BIPOC. Tell the people of God what BIPOC um, mean, just in case just in case they think you're talking about Tupac's right. brother.
1: Right. <laughs> he was also in Mexico, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So it's an acronym that gained popularity popular over the last handful of years to try to designate kind of non-white populations um, by emphasizing kind of Black, Indigenous people of mm-hmm. color. Um, mm-hmm. Then there are various... Modifications mm-hmm. of that to try to acknowledge the particularities of each subset mm-hmm. that's covered, um, but basically, as I would say it in class, right? These are not Swedish people walking through the biblical <laughs> world. So the stereotypes of blonde hair, blue eyes, like that's just not what's happening in the mm-hmm. Bible. Um, no shade to our blonde hair, blue eyed brothers and sisters, but that's not what the text is about. Um, so that's part of what kind of what gets lost in some sort of translation mm-hmm, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, so we have this moment where Hagar um, is sort of Sarah's slave or handmaid, depending on, you know, how, how one wants to translate mm-hmm. that. And then Abraham or Abram sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant after Sarai tells Abram go mm-hmm. sleep with her. Um, and so again, it, it's a, a messy s- scenario. <laughs> but you can think about it as you might, in our modern context, think of surrogacy. Yeah. Right? That that's that's essentially what is happening here, yeah. is that another woman's womb is being used for the benefit of another woman for their family.
0: Yeah, you know, we can... In another podcast, we can talk about consent and all that other stuff around yeah. it, because ooh-wee, right. just ooh-wee. <laughs> but yes, surrogacy. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that's the... That's the way the biblical writers are framing it. Um, again, there's, as you said, there's other interpretive traditions that we can unpack and talk about how we get to questions of consent and where it's evident. Um, but again, the, the cleanest way to think about it, at least for our conversation today, is think about it in terms of surrogacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Hagar does that, then there becomes, again, another messy moment where Sarai and Hagar or Hagar end up having beef. Mm. Um And in particular, Sarai says, you know, essentially Hagar is looking at me with contempt, or she's kind of looking at me cross-eyed mm. kind of things. Um I don't know if they still say this. When I was growing up, they said they looked at me like I was short. <sighs> I, don't so I don't know if they still say that or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you are um, short, yes, I'm looking at you like you're short.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> um but the you know, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things there, Hebrew is that it it's not that Hagar looks at her with attitude or with stankness or anything like that. It literally just means she doesn't look at her with the same level of reverence. Yeah.
0: How could she? So the No, I mean, right, yeah, right. but yes, I hear what you're saying. So it, it yeah. means that Sarah can <laughs> sense that there's been a loss of respect or there is as we, I guess, what we would say today is, you got some bad energy. Usually, you, you know, our vibes are not meshing. So yeah, I mean, and it makes sense. It makes sense. Right. It makes sense.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so then, kind of, against all of that, while she's still pregnant, then Sarai throws her out the house mm. and casts her into the wilderness. And one of the things that you know we've talked about before is the, again, God's intervention, mm-hmm. right? That when she's thrown out from everything that she would know and expect to be sources of safety and protection, that's when God meets meets mm-hmm. her and gives her a promise about her child and then provides for them. Yeah. And so it's that, you know, that sense was it, I think it was in Psalm 27 or somewhere around there about the mother and father forsaken me, God, you mm-hmm. will bear me. Mm-hmm. And you will kind of bear me. And so we see some of that spirit operative here in the life of Hagar. Yeah, and
0: I want to go ahead and give a plug while we're talking about Hagar, particularly since you talk about her being, you know, kind of cast out and homeless in some ways. Uh, Dr. Stephanie Buchanan Crowder, who is currently teaching, I believe, at Chicago Theological Seminary, has a book called When Mama Speaks, The Bible and Motherhood from a Womanist Perspective. And in this book, she talks about womanist biblical interpretation and what she's calling womanist maternal thought, how women intertext uh, with the framework of motherhood kind of at the center. And in it, she gives sermons around mothers. And the first one she gives Hagar, a homeless mother, coming from Genesis 16 and 21 verses 8 through 21. And so uh, for those of you who might want to, you know, pick up something that could be useful um, as you consider conversations around motherhood, she gives other women as well, Rispa, Bathsheba, Mary, the Canaanite woman, and Zebedee's wife, but particularly with Dr. Kimson and I's conversation around Hagar, the fact that we have to be really clear of the fact that, like you said, she gets banished or put out. When she's with child, because you go back to her narrative, the first time that she she she's out, she left on her own, She left her home. And like you said, uh, God intervenes, sends an angel to have a conversation with her let her know, hey, you about to have a child. He's going to be a wild of a beast is what the angel says. And, you know, you name him uh, Ishmael, all that jazz. But the next time around, uh, Sarai uh, has her put out and she becomes this homeless mother. And as Dr. Kemp is emphasizing, it's like, here she is. Homeless, without resources, uh, downtrodden, trying to care for her child, who is in his preteens, by the way. Um, uh, or, or Actually, no, he's not. Uh, Isaac is. Isaac is in his preteens when it happens. Um, and she's out there and God shows up. God shows up God's self. God doesn't send an angel this time. God shows up God's self and provides for her um, and the descendants of Ishmael. And so to know that uh, for the mothers who have struggled, you know, uh, have been homeless, have been unemployed, have struggled to provide for their children, to know that God shows up for you too. That's with or without a husband, with or without baby daddy being present, that God is ever present even for all all of us, no matter who we are, but particularly for the single and unsupported mother to know that God, God has her eyes on you.
1: And I think the powerful kind of connection between what you're describing in this the Hagar story in Genesis 16 is that Hagar is given the privilege of assigning a name yeah. to God based upon their interaction, right? And so that God becomes um it's often translated the God who yes. sees. Right. And we've talked before that in the Hebrew Bible, when God sees, God yes. acts. So it's not just, you know, God kind of observes from afar and waves, Hey, mm-hmm. how you doing? Um, but that there is a sort of a Old folk would say, "There's a fire shot up in God's bones that when God sees, God must mm-hmm, intervene."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why there's so much time spent in the Bible saying, "God, pay attention to me, mm-hmm. listen to mm-hmm. me, see me," because they know when that happens, God yeah. will act. And so, significance that in this state, as you described, of kind of an unwanted mm-hmm. mother. God still not only says I want you, but I see you, and I
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 we know this: there is no perfect mother, right? Or perfect parent, really. Um, mistakes will happen. Things become contextual. Things that uh, we have learned as people that worked for us may not work for our children. A lot of things are changing around gender fluidity, sexual orientation, and identity, where mothers and parents have to take time of learning things around that. Uh, and in light of that i mean we we can't lift up a lot of mothers in this in this bible to say here's the perfect mother but we want to lift up god as mother in this podcast we want to lift up god as mother uh yes can we do a bible study on the women in the bible and motherhood sure you gonna have to pay us for that so if that's what you want send us the message <laughs> we'll do it we certainly will do it uh and we'll continue to have these conversations around this um but Let's talk about God as mother. Um, Dr. Kemp, can we, with integrity, truly call God mother or mothering figure?
1: Right. So what I always tell students to do that, if you want to answer that question, what does the Bible Ah, say? That's the first place to go. And so one example that has been lifted up by many scholars is in the book of Isaiah. Um, so Isaiah chapter 66 in particular. Um, and so in Isaiah 66, this is part of the the series of prophecies of the Judeans who have been in exile returning back to their homeland and God's promises of restoration. Um, and in the course of that, we get these kind of powerful maternal images starting around uh, verse 7 of Isaiah 66 about God's work in Jerusalem and giving birth to Jerusalem and taking care of Jerusalem's children. Um, Sort of the the common ancient Near Eastern idea of a city being kind of the wife and mother of a God. Um, So we see that image. And again, not to mess with your theology too much, um, but that tradition of a God having a wife, that's part of what's behind the New Testament when it argues that we who are Christian are part of the church, which is the bride of Christ. So that same kind of imagery still persists in kind of New Testament literature. Um, but in this kind of, per, kind of pervasiveness of this feminine imagery in Isaiah 66, we get to verse 13, mm-hmm. where God is describing, God describes that as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. Um, so, at the very least, what we can say is that God, in describing God's relationship with the nation, says that this image of motherhood is mm-hmm. appropriate. Um, and so, for me, that's always kind of say, as a biblical scholar, I can take you there. Um, then I leave it to the systematicians to decide whether that means you can give the label of mother to God. Okay. Or not. <laughs> I can at least say the, the image and the metaphor of God is yeah. mother. Clearly merges in this passage and in the right, other. Right.
0: So, I want to ask you about a particular passage that, you know, I think people use, or I don't even know if it's a passage. You tell me if it's a passage, but there's certainly an imagery used, which for me becomes problematic because um, I think it's called, uh, what, I I forgot what it's called, when we give God human body parts. Oh, and it's a I answer, Yeah, right. Is. So we give God human body parts. Uh and you know, okay, that's fine. But wow. the example I'm about to give, I'm pretty sure you already here it and know it. We 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 give God a particular body part that is hypersexualized yeah. around women, therefore, then is used yes. to make God a woman. And I'm not really sure I'm comfortable with that as a womanist homiletician. right? So when people call God right. the all-breasted one or the many-breasted one. Uh, right. I don't think that's talking about anatomy the way we are understanding that. But I don't know, which is why I haven't yeah. used it or referenced it. You are the Hebrew scholar, so talk to us. Is that a reference to be used?
1: Right. Yeah. So what comes up is the the Hebrew there is the word El Shaddai. Mm-hmm. So El is the a word that gets translated as God. In another podcast we're going to unpack what that okay. actually means, but we'll keep it okay. at that for now. Um, and then the word should die. And that's the word that often gets translated, as you said, as mm. breasts. Um, so and so again, I think many, many can honor, and I certainly try to honor the impulse that says the value and worth of women has been unfairly diminished and harmed by how people have misused mm-hmm, scripture. Mm-hmm. And so efforts to recover, redeem, kind of recenter the value of women, I try to live my life and teach in such a way where that's a clear amen for me. And so I think that impulse that you were describing of the feminization of God is part of that Mm -hmm. impulse with which I have no disagreement. Um, And not only not disagreement, I firmly Mm -hmm. support. Um, But comma, Mm -hmm. however. Right, right, right. um, Or and to be thorough and more responsible scholars, I think, so that the good impulses don't get undermined. There's a question of how far we can make certain applications. Mm-hmm. Um, from the literature I'm aware of, most would argue that this image of El Shaddai has more to do with geography mm. than with biology. Talk to us. So it's it's as much an image of kind of the God of the mountains. Um, Right? And, I, and I joke sometimes with students that you have to imagine some of the biblical writers and some of the kind of ancient Near Eastern historians and others as like 14-year-old
0: high school <laughs> kids,
1: uh, and particularly high school okay. males. Um, and so if you're describing rises and falls in land with large peaks with a valley leading up to another peak leading to another mm-hmm. valley, there are various ways of associating that with Uh, physical forms and shapes. (laughs) And so it's most likely a reference to that kind of imagery. Um, There are some kind of ancient ancient iconography of female goddesses in which that body part is emphasized as a sign of fertility Mm -hmm. and life. So there are some who will try to conflate those two. Um, You know, I think the evidence is, it's hard to conclude that. It's possible Mm -hmm. Um, but it's harder to make that from the evidence I'm aware of. Um, so William Dever is a scholar who talks a lot about the the wife mm-hmm. of God and those kinds of images.
0: My, my. Well, thank you for that. Uh, we have discussed Eve. We have discussed Hagar. We've name dropped Sarah. Uh, we got to God as mother and ways of doing this. Um, I hope that those of you who have listened and will share this well, here, in essence, what we're saying is definitely take a deep dive into exploring motherhood in the biblical texts. Um, and, you know, as a womanist scholar, I, I even challenge you now, this is where you living on the wild side of finding a way to preach a male uh, who has mothered and nurtured um, that I think will hit on so many levels of one uh, kind of uh, debunking the myth that men uh, don't nurture and can't be a mothering figure, uh, which I think it comes at toxic masculinity, which we'll talk a bit more as we move towards Father's Day, y'all, um, and then just kind of highlight that we all are capable of being uh, mothering figures uh, to each other and for others. Um, and so we hope that this podcast has given you some things to think about. Uh, we've given you some resources. You, you already know. Look up Dr. Kemp on Amazon, all, all book platforms and articles and all the scholarly uh, journal platforms. We dropped you a name of uh, Stephanie Buchanan Crowder who particularly wrote a book around mothering. There are plenty of other black women who have written around fertility and mothering. Um, yeah, so so dig in, read. Preach, share, but create space where everybody can belong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If there's if there's anything that we can say definitively about the image of God that emerges through the scriptures and through the gospel, is that it is always in the old King James, whosoever mm. will, let them mm-hmm. come. And so how do we then create a a message that underscores God's invitation and what that means for us to come through the door of Christ as Christians? Um, And again, to recognize that the source of all nurturing is God. So whatever the human instrument is, we honor them, but we ultimately um, recognize the true source and attribute to God, right? What's the passage? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's.
0: So So, Dr. Kemp, as we close out this podcast, I know you always leave us with... First of all, just enough light. Uh, but secondly, exactly. secondly, <laughs> a, a word to build our Hebrew vocabulary. So what do you have to give us to, on this day, Doc?
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, as always, I, I have to thank the one and only Reverend Dr. Dominique Robinson. Soon to be Dr. Dr. Dominique Robinson. <laughs> um, and again, for her graciousness and insight uh, for being a part of this first season. <clears throat> so as always, remember our Podcast drop on the first and third monday of every month so on um, may 2nd this podcast officially is available to the world and as always if you find it a blessing find it useful please we ask you to follow us on facebook and instagram at jel.institute share with a friend that's said, even with an enemy if you think they can benefit as well <laughs> um so again we're in a home stretch of season one so again we thank you for being with us and Encourage you to continue to join our community and reach out to us with any questions you have or things you want us to follow up on as we go through it. Um, second thing we mentioned in the live, we're excited that on May 2nd, the Hebrew Hotline will officially launch. Uh, and as Dominique mentioned at the very beginning of our time together today, it's a chance for you to connect with me one-on-one. Um, to get kind of more in-depth exegesis, to think about how it kind of practically applies to your life and your ministry. And in particular, it's been on my heart for pastors as we do this subject on rest. One of the keys to rest is being refreshed in your own spiritual growth, in your own knowledge. And the Hebrew Hotline, I hope it'll be a safe place for you to explore those questions, to learn, to grow, to be reinvigorated. Uh, Because often I have a very good friend who talked about it's nice to get a new word, to give a fresh word for God's people. And so part of the Hebrew hotline is to try to provide a place and space for that. So again, that'll launch on Monday, May 2nd. You can find out more information at www.jel.institute. So www.jel.institute. Then the last sort of thing that's coming for us is we're doing a summer Bible study series, sort of a, a mini master course on the life of Moses. So we give a chance to take a deep dive into few parts of Moses's life. And as always, we want to kind of think about it in its context and then ask how does that apply to us in our daily lives and then our ministerial journeys as well. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be sending some information about that on our website and in our various social media platforms. So look forward to you joining us for that kind of mini master course on Moses uh, starting this summer. Uh, So last, certainly not least, our Hebrew word of the day. Uh, this is probably one that you saw coming since we're doing mother's day uh it's only appropriate that i give you the hebrew word for mother and the word for mother is aim aim that's the word that means mother in in hebrew so you get aim um and as we've talked about throughout our podcast today remember that god's love is the source of all love And if we talked about parents, be it fathers, be it mothers, and in Isaiah 66, God says, as a mother who care for a child, God will care for the nation. So it is on this Mother's Day and in every day, I pray that you experience the love of God in a new and real way, and in the truth and power of that love, may you find, as we always like to say, just enough light for the step you're on. Thank you, as always, for joining us. God bless, and we'll see you next time on Masterclass Moments with Dr. Joel B. Kent. Thank you.